You're listening to the Around the Lens podcast, the home of high-quality, roundtable, visual journalism discussion about the news, topics, and gear related to our career field. Now, here's the host of our show, David J. Murphy. Hello and welcome to episode 240 of Around the Lens. I'm your host, David J. Murphy, a freelance visual journalist based out of South Korea. Joining me this week is my regular co-host, Travis Keyes, a freelance photographer based out of New York and chairman of the APA. Mr. Keyes, how are you doing this week? I'm doing very well, or as good as one can do in this crazy, crazy world of ours, which just every week tops itself. <laughs> indeed, indeed. It's like you think... It can't, it can't get much worse than it was it last week, no. right? No. Now, now we have a cabal of alien-eating, you know, cannibalistic Democrat liberals going after kids and drinking blood to stay young. I mean, who knows what, you know. <laughs> I love seeing uh, every month, you know, they're like, you know, like, oh, murder hornets this month. Who, who uh, double hurricanes <laughs> this month? Who, who ordered that plague on the world? You know, who ordered that disaster? So it's like. But you know what? We have each other, so that's all that we need. That's that's all you can know for. De- what? De- death? Death beavers? <laughs> <laughs> Don't jinx us! Don't you bring that on us, Travis? Gosh, darn it. oh man! Now, now you've now you done it. Now you done it. Or it's like that movie. Um, what was it? Cabin in the Woods, I believe, where yes. it's just like the, who, the litany who, of who different. Had, who had merman for? <laughs> oh man, that's a great movie. It was a very funny premise. And you watch that again. All right, our guest this week joining us for her second appearance is Miss Jennifer Osborne. She is a freelance photographer based out of Vancouver, Canada. Hello, Jennifer. Hey, good to be back with you guys. How's it going? Welcome, welcome, welcome. (laughs) Great to have you. So uh, how's everything in Canada? Um, Pretty tame in comparison to the U.S., I might say. However, I'm a bit (laughs) jealous that I don't have all the madness to photograph up here. Well, we'll bring it up there. We'll, we'll import it. Swap it out in a minute. Just open that border up. Places, let's go. Yeah. yeah, just open that border up. We'll send it all your way. You can have it. <laughs> Keep the QAnoners out of Canada, please. <laughs> Is there a QAnon in Canada? Like a QAnon variation? Do you know? Yeah. It made, it made its way to the protest marches in Berlin. Yeah, really? and wow. actually I, I heard rumors that there might be a QAnon protest in Edmonton, Canada coming up soon. Craziness. Craziness. It is craziness. It is. Especially because Trump has been linked to the Epstein case on some small level I read le- recently. I've seen that pop over the years, but uh, we'll see. That one just keeps popping up. I haven't found the legs on it yet. Yeah. We know... <laughs> Well, you know what they have? They have now support groups for people who have left the QAnon sort of fan base. You know what they call it? QAnon and on. What? No, I'm just kidding. I made that up. <laughs> <laughs> like, hello, my name is Dave. I was a QAnon member. Blah, 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 blah. Hey, Dave. So anyways. All right. Well, so great to have you here, Jen. Uh, we got a lot of great things to talk about this week, but before we do... Uh, you said you were working on some new projects quickly. Like, what's what's the big project you're working on right now? Underwater photography seems like the safest thing to do during COVID nineteen, with fast rivers streaming potential COVID away from me while I'm shooting. <laughs> be, be careful! You get under there, you might see a protest underwater. <laughs> I heard catfish and I heard underwater. <laughs> oh God, the COVID catfish are getting terrible out there. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And then, of course, the underwater protests. That's the big thing. That's, <laughs> you know, anyways. Are they going to open up the schools of fish? <laughs> no, they're doing it all online. Virtual. <laughs> Well, you know, what's funny is you mentioned schools. My kids actually just started school. So I'm actually experiencing what it's like to be a father with children going to school in a pandemic environment. And, you know, I, get, I think the one silver lining in all this is, at least for me or them, is they have no frame of reference for what school is supposed to be like. So for them, it's, you know, it's not unusual. It's not different. They're sort of just getting into it. And I think to my own like school time education, right? And here I am, I'm setting up their Google account and their webcam and the internet and all this stuff. And it's like, I think back to when I was school, there was none of this, you know, I didn't have a internet email until I think middle school. And you had you know, to deal with like typewriter ribbon and stuff like that. Well, well, not typewriter, but, you know, the <laughs> dot matrix printer and stuff like that. And the little, you know, the perforated edges that go through getting stuck. I had to deal with that. That was my, that was my life. Anyways, oh, kids, they're great. <laughs> School, yeah, so I'm like, they're having their class outside the door here, and I'm doing my podcast, so we're all live streaming. So it's, it's virtual school for them? They're not going back to classroom? Not yet, not yet. They yeah, We yeah. had a little spike here in South Korea, so they decided to hold off on starting school until things got a little bit calmer. So they're doing the first 20 days or so virtually, and then after that, hopefully they'll be actually be able to go into the classroom. And even then... There's a whole bunch of litany of different um, precautions in place to help ensure that they can go to school safely. So we'll see how that goes. That sounds like a, that sounds like a good way to do things. Hey, <laughs> it's nice to have a plan, right? Uh, anyways, all right. Well, let's get into the show. we got a lot of great topics to talk about tonight. Um, the first topic was actually brought to me by uh, you, Travis, and I'll quickly re- um, go over uh, what, what kind of it says here. So essentially, this is from ABC News, and an appeals court temporarily halts protections for journalists and legal observers in Portland. So what happened here was that a judge by the name of Michael Simon ruled that journalists and legal observers were exempt from federal officers' physical force arrests and other treatments, you know, if they knew that they were journalists. Hey, that sounds like common sense and what they should be doing anyways, right? You didn't think a, a judge would have to actually decree that. Anyways, well, a three-judge panel in a two-to-one decision decided the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals decided, no, nah, that was a little bit too vague. We need to give the police more freedom to rough up journalists and, and people. And so they said, nope, um, they can st- that will impede a police officers' ability to do their job. So they, um, they denied that. Um, so essentially if you are a protester, I mean, I'm sorry, if you're a journalist working in Portland and, you know, law enforcement could pretty much do whatever they want to, you have no protections or freedoms under the first amendment and whatnot. So it's kind of created this, I would say very, uh, you know, anti-freedom of speech environment, um, up there with regard to this ruling and you know hopefully it doesn't catch on uh, throughout the rest of the country but as we do on the show we like to always offer uh, first comments up to our guests to kind of give us their thoughts on situations so uh, Jen what, what are your thoughts on this story and do, do you see it being um, sort of protection for police or a dismantlement of the first amendment what's kind of your take on it Oh, geez. All I can say is it's a terrible thing for freedom of press. I've witnessed friends at protests in America since May who've come out of protests with bloody faces, not because of protester brutality, 
but because of police brutality. Sure. <laughs> so oh, I, I'm not so fluent in the, the amendment and everything, the Constitution, because I'm Canadian, but I can say I see this as very supportive of authoritarian figures in the U.S., and I yeah. don't support this ruling at all. <laughs> well, I mean, have, have you covered protests in Canada? Yeah, and things can get crazy. We did have some riots here. Well, I lived in Europe at the time, but there have been riots in Canada, but it's very infrequent. The latest protests I've been to have been very mild in comparison to what can go on in other places of the world. It seems like in America, um, things are getting amplified into the intensity of what you might think of in the Middle East or other countries that are quite unstable politically. That's what I see from abroad of news that's going on in America. So I see this new ruling as a direct attack, attack on people's ability to document this phase in American history. Yeah, yeah. No, I was just curious if there was, you know, you, you know if you saw or if have you covered uh, protests in the United States as well or just the Canada or Europe? I actually was covering militia groups in the U.S. I think that was about two years, almost two years ago from this September, I was uh, reporting on American militias. And I did go to a liberty or death protest wow. in Seattle, Washington, and it was in late August uh, 2018. And I did witness self, sh uh, not self-shelling, but sell I don't know how you'd put it. People were hurting themselves on the far right side to claim that counter-protesters had thrown rocks at their heads. Wow. But wow. there is no video evidence uh, aligning to show pro protesters throwing rocks at them. Um, and when I was getting closer to these guys to photograph the wounds, they were trying to push me away, which made me think they were hiding uh, how these wounds took place on their face. <laughs> so there's a lot of dishonest kind of things going on right now in America. Yeah. And but I mean is that is that true of just American protests or is that protests in general? I mean aren't of there Of course in general people will do whatever they can, whatever manipulative gaslighty kind of behavior they can get away with to kind of support their cause. Right. No, I, I think yeah, I think that distinction has to be made clear because yeah, obviously there's tons of protests going on in the states, but you know again I don't think that's a problem unique to the states. I think that's a, just a general mm -hmm. problem, you know, with, with different sort of actors coming in, anarchists and whatnot, wanting to cause, you know, destruction and rile up the groups. You see that, you know, I think, but it's just obviously because, you know, the United States is in the center of it all and it all has to deal with, you know, things that are going on. We're the focus. But, um, Travis, you brought this story I, up to my... Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I think... The anarchism comment, it's complicated because there is anarchism and there's right-wing anarchism and there's left-wing anarchism and oh, both yeah, sides. I, I, I'm not saying a side, you know, one side does it. I mean, we've seen, you know, the video of, you know, at the first protests after George Floyd, you know, the, the guy all clad in black who took a hammer to an auto zone and was just breaking the glass. You know, that was yeah, designed to... Yeah, and he wasn't a protester, I'm guessing. I right. don't know that particular incident, but... Yeah, just random people are coming to mess things up. Yep. And then they're even coming to give protesters a bad name. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's the biggest thing is like 90% of the protests are peaceful, right? It's just the ones that have violence and yeah. outbreaks. Those are the ones that made the nightly news because, 
Yeah, you know. it's, ex- it's exciting on some level. I mean, we want to hear some people have this weird fetish with bad news. And that is unfortunately what makes the news. <laughs> right. You don't hear about the protest that was peaceful and happened and ended peacefully and nothing happened except for the people protested. You don't hear about that. You hear about the ones yeah. where there was violence and rioting and yada, yada, yada. Exactly. Um, you know, Travis, you're the, you're the one who kind of brought this to my attention. What are your thoughts on this story and, and what's being discussed? I, I find it terrifying. Um, I think uh, um, that the administration is, is trying to very be manipulative control. And, uh, and it, even if they know that this couldn't stick in the courts, I think they're throwing so much at the courts that uh, they're, it doesn't matter because it's the type of thing that uh, if they can get it to last through the, the election, they can control it and it can go through appeals and it can be tied up. And, you know, and it, it uh, at this point, it's kind of it's it's terrifying that that all of this is happening that uh, and people don't even realize what they're losing until it's gone. And uh, it's uh, it's a frightening time. And uh it just every day is something else that's chipping away that I, I think most people don't even realize what he's what what is happening to this country in terms of freedom of the press, making the press the enemy, making you know um, you know your civil rights to the point to it that they're saying that people get arrested during a protest could possibly lose their right to vote. They're trying to put that through the courts. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just it's to control and you know when you black out what actually is going on to control the media and and control the vote. This is terrifying. You mix that with you know slowing down the post office and slowing down like this is this is this is not america this is this is what you see in other you know countries we used to watch on the tv and then it's happening here is it's it's i i'm i'm truly truly at a loss like i've never been in this country and it's it's frightened me and uh, definitely has uh affected me in many many ways and to the point like you want to turn off the tv but then you don't want to turn off the tv because you want to be aware of what's going on to so you can fight it and then at the same time it's stressing you out and you can't sleep and it's like these are these are and you mix that with a you know uh, the a covid and with uh you know the economy and and everything else is like how much can you like the breaking point I, i'm surprised there haven't been more looting and violence and and it's going to get worse i think and i'm really scared about it getting much much worse yeah, and Travis, I noticed a difference in you, because I saw you, I think it was in June, two months ago I saw you, and I do feel like more of a heaviness like amongst the group today. The three of us were talking two months ago, plus one other guest, and I know things have amplified in the U.S. since then, and things are just spiraling. Yeah. It's uh, it's it's just, it's uh, honestly, it's like I, I've never felt this kind of gravity of, of weight in America ever, ever. And, and, and certainly, you know, I've, I've, I don't have the longest track record in, in, but I've been around for a little while and, you know, I've, I've, <laughs> and, you know, at least I, I go from, you know, 70 forward, you know, so that's, that's a, a good period of American history there. I've never, ever felt like this, you know, it, we've never been so divided. It's never been so radically, you know, your differences, my differences, like it, 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 if you even mention, you know, that you're one side or the other, it's like how, how face masks become politicalized. And like, if you're not wearing it, like at, at a convention where, you know, a, a Trump convention the other day, you know, that they sit there and they go, uh, the announcement was, everyone, could you please put on your mask? And they all boo. I'm like, what? This yeah, is, yeah. This is madness to me. It's, it's absolutely like, crazy yeah. madness. Like, I can't believe this is this is where we're at. <laughs> it is very disturbing. I feel your pain. 
Yeah. yeah so the, the court thing even is terrifying to me, you know, that you can actually, you know, that they, they can, the police for any reason to say, you know, well, who, who's judging that then the police are saying, Oh, you know, well, you know what? We don't want you here. It's like, there are, there's already enough, you know, problems with, you know, now you have the defunding police and this, that police and police violence and this, and now they're going to, they're the ones going to judge whether a, a journalist can be there to tell the right story. That's terrifying. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, playing the devil's advocate here uh, on the, the police side, or I guess, you know, the police there's, don't have Obviously, it. there's great police, there's good law enforcement polices, but but to give that, that, that to break in the law where it can be used, you don't know who is going to use it or how it's going to be used. That's terrifying. Yeah, no, absolutely. But... Again, looking at you know the the other side, right? Playing the devil's advocate here, and, and and thinking about what is a journalist, right? And who is a photographer? Who is officially media? When you have every single person with their phone out, right? Or you have like I was watching another thing here. I saw this guy with a, a giant monopod yeah. selfie stick thing with a three hundred and sixty camera on it and a GoPro. I think it's it's a difficult... live stream, right? Exactly. Like they're all doing live stream, and I've seen <clears> some <throat> of those guys when I was down in Tijuana. One of those live stream guys, uh, the migrant caravan hit the border of Tijuana with America. I was on the Tijuana Mexico side, and there was a live stream guy. He was there, and he started a fight with me because he wanted to increase his viewers oh on the live God. stream. He wanted to make but, drama. Yeah. There's, there's a big difference. I mean, there's 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 accredited media, and then there's people that say their media or work for small things. Accredited yeah. media should have those rights to, to be there. And so, it, you know, it's like just because I say I'm media and I don't have a proper accreditation or something like that, that's like, you know, it's almost like saying, well, I'm a protester. Or, no, he's a looter. Or, you know, it's like, no, there's protesters and then there's looters. They're two different things. You know, it's like, yeah. it's like you can't put them all in one one group because they're very different. You know, I, you know, someone from MSNBC or, you know, even if yes. you want to say Fox is accredited or whatever. <laughs> but, uh, you you know, our yeah. CNN, if they, you know, they, these are very different than, you know, someone from, uh, you know, uh, my my daily blog, you know, there's, mm -hmm. yes, there's, and even in New York, you have to, to be able to cross police lines, you have to be accredited with the police department to have that press pass to do it. So that these, right. you know, mm -hmm. that is a very different press pass than someone just saying they're with the press. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I think the the media, I'm sorry, the police should be able to identify the obvious, like, film crew, you know, the guy with the ENG news camera and, you know, the boom mic and the reporter with the little Chiron on their microphone. That's obvious, right? Maybe the guy with the $10,000 camera, you know, DSLR with the, the camera, the lens. It shouldn't even be It shouldn't even be that hard. It should be a, a, a shield that's around their neck that they identify and go, oh, that is real. That is that that says they're a legit media. Yeah. And, and that exists because, in you know, New York cameras City. Nowadays, I can be there with an iPhone and be a journalist. You know, how many people, you know, <laughs> were reduced in the media down to an iPhone? Right. <laughs> and that's true in New York City where they do have a press pass system, but I don't think that's true yeah. everywhere. And that's true. I've, yeah. I've heard many stories where it's like, you know, you essentially make up your own press pass or you'll have a press pass for an event. But general news coverage, as far as I know, outside of New York City I don't know of any other municipality that has a sort of designated press pass. Do you know of any? Well, I'm just thinking of Vancouver right now because I was photographing uh, Greta Thunberg when she came to Vancouver. Uh, it was like summer of 2019. We, again, we had that huge scrum, like a huge pit, and maybe 2% of the photographers were for legitimate media. 
and the rest were fans and independent news sources that were just making everything very difficult and intimidating for Ms. Thunberg. So uh, what I'm getting at is we don't have an official accreditation system in Vancouver. Right. That might be helpful for protests and riots, deciding which media get inside. But then again, you might have the cops saying, well, we only want rebel news. Or we only want Fox News inside. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's, you have to be very careful. See, you might be setting up yeah, more restrictions to yourselves if you're setting up a municipal um, accreditation system. I'm not sure. Well, let's talk about that. I'm going to throw this, you know, topic out to you. By what, what do you think about like a federal accreditation system? Take like something that's being done in New York City and expand it to the entire country. What do you think about that? Travis, you've experienced that. How does that system work for you? Uh, I've never actually, you know, only in a conflict zone in eastern Ukraine, we had like press accreditation for the front lines. Right, right, right. And that um, worked well, but yeah. That was a very well, remote you know, there's, there's, It's almost like you look at the, and, and it, it, they haven't implemented yet, but like, you know, flying a drone. There's so many people out there that can just get a drone that, uh, that now they're talking about getting a license. And if you're going to be a commercial, you know, and do anything commercial, you have to get it. You have to get a drone's pilot's license right. and you have to go through the right steps. So it's not a terrible thing that, you know, you have to go through some site, like getting a driver's license. You have to go some through some sort of accreditation that you're not just a, a Joe Schmo saying, I'm a, you know, I'm with the media. And, and lying or just doing something there there has to be some accountability on both sides so you know, if you're a journalist that uh, you know that you are out there and doing something wrong you're caught doing something wrong you they can pull your press pass but you know that that, that should go through the courts not on the on the scene you know but uh, these these are these are important things you know there, there has to be some accountability on both sides yeah I think the problem with a federal press pass is you get down that slippery slope argument and you have people saying like well who can pull your press pass who can issue your press pass it's well, like what's scary now is when you know when you have an administration like this yeah. that's saying you know the fox mm -hmm. friends morning and friends is is good news and everything else is fake news that's that's scary yeah. <laughs> because of course you have, a, you have an a g like uh, like bar that's even more terrifying yeah. Because no credible news sources are going to be given accreditation under Trump's uh, choice, I would imagine. Uh, OAN is yeah. set. And look OAN at, look at him pulling press passes for asking legitimate questions during, you know, a, a White House press conference. And and look look at how we've lost the, you know, the White House press conference. And look how we have, you know, lost proper, you know, uh, doling of information here. You know, you, you look at, uh, you know, them pulling it at the CDC information, you know, yeah. going straight to the White House, you know, on COVID. You look at, uh, you know, now that, uh, you know, they're not giving live uh, updates on, uh, you know, on election meddling uh, to, to Congress. You know, now it's going to be handwritten and not uh, not and no more live updates like that type of information being restricted that's a terrifying thought that that the the transparency of, of important information is being hidden from the public now yeah and i'm not one of those conspiracy periods oh my god they're trying to change but they are <laughs> there's a photograph of a little boy holding a sign at the picket line it says first they came for the journalists then we don't know what happened after that <laughs> <laughs> And then, and then everything was fine and back to normal, and there was no issues whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. yeah, everyone was uh, fed purple Kool Aid, and then and, you know, my, my, the, the, the thing that I hate the most about it is that it's my side, your side. It should not be that way. It should be right and wrong and moral, and, and it shouldn't be like, oh, you you think differently than me. It's like, no, you know, we we are all like, I, if I was to meet anybody. 
out and we instantly oh you like this kind of beer you like it we have more people more things in similarity than we'll ever have in differences but yet for some reason right now if we want to point out those differences and and go to battle on them and that's that's the worst place to start and you're never going to get anywhere by starting from there and that's what scares me the most right now is that instantly that's where we're going right because you know again i was thinking about this and I think the worst thing to come out of it is like a chilling effect, right? Because if you're a journalist and you're thinking about covering the Portland protests, you're now having to consider in the back of your mind, I could be, I have no protection whatsoever. I have to, I could be as manhandled, I could be arrested, you know. And then that's true of all covering protests. You know, I think if... And you're hoping that you're with a good news organization that you they know where you are and suddenly if you are you don't feel it, they're going to start looking for you in the prisons and they're going to have the lawyers to back you out and... and, and all of that but uh you know that's that's a lot to but bank here's on the thing because uh, so much of this industry is based on freelancers due to the decline in finances it's for true. staff photographers etc people like me i'm a freelancer right yeah uh i don't even if i'm taking a freelance job i don't know if i'm going to be supported by that publication that's so true so true that's a very so good I'm point on assignment for mclean's magazine who i work for frequently in canada we've never discussed like what happens jen if you get kidnapped or if you get hurt or something if you go to jail we've never talked about that before i've done you might want to have a couple of those conversations <laughs> Just like, yeah. do I have an emergency number just in case something happens? You, you should ask that question. <laughs> yeah, I mean that. that do you whole... have a lawyer or retainer that if I go to jail on this, that I can call? Yeah, no, yeah. I mean, those that's... are discussions we're going to have to start bringing up as freelancers because there's very few of us staff photographers left in the world. We're they're an endangered species. Those staff photographers, and, and also a, a reason to be part of larger organizations like NPPA and you know APA and all you know all, all these organizations, so you have a, a community behind you. Maybe we should create our own organization. You know, the ATL, <laughs> the ATL <laughs> freelance um, news initiative co- co- collaboration. I don't know. <laughs> you might have to fork out some serious money though if we go to jail know. <laughs> you know you'll get you get thoughts and prayers but i don't know if i can do much more for you than that i'll have our our uh, atl lawyer um write up a, an op-ed we'll do a lot of coverage from outside the, the jail for you right we'll write a strongly <laughs> worded blog post reporting from outside penhurst prison <laughs> where Indeed. one of our own is inside mm-hmm. we haven't seen her or talked to her in three weeks but she's in there You'll be our person on the inside <laughs> talking about what's going on over there. All right. Man, it's, it's a tough issue. And, you know, I, I'm hoping that perhaps there's a higher court. You know, what's funny is I was looking at up Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and I thought that was the court that seemed to side on more of. It, know, it usually is. It is. Yeah, more left-leaning type stuff. Like, I yeah. think, you know, like the bands on. DACA and immigrants and stuff, they seem to be counter to the administration's desires. And I thought, well, but I guess they also had the the gun. uh, They struck down a gun law, I believe, a California gun law as well, a few weeks ago um, for what I was looking at in terms of, you know, so, you know, it's interesting. I mean, ultimately, judges and courts should be completely nonpartisan whatsoever. They should look at every issue completely fairly as they should. But again, Ninth Circuit seemed to be you know, uh, think a different way, but you know, yeah. again, you can't, uh, you can't necessarily, but unfortunately, as we've seen in the last four years, the, the, the structure of, of appoint, apprenticeship, appointing ship to the, the judicial system has been greatly, greatly, they've appointed more judges in the last, you know, I think two years than, and, and also young judges and life appointments. And like they, they are redefining the whole, uh, judicial system as we, we 
sleep. Wow. <laughs> or is he trying to sleep? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the thing is, just don't sleep and uh, don't breathe when you go outside, and that's that's why I just hold my breath. As soon as I go outside, hold my breath. That way, I don't get the COVID, and we're good. All right. Well, let's go ahead and move on to our next topic this week. Uh, Google has decided to allow or is beta testing essentially this ability to allow licensable images within the Google image search. And when I first read this story, I thought, oh, so Google is going to be a like image licensing house now. And from reading it in more detail, no, what essentially they're doing is they're taking your license capability information. So if you post your image to your website and you have certain license code in it, and which is, I believe, more streamlined through services that you know host imagery like Photo Shelter, what will happen is when someone Google search, you know, your image like underwater photography and a Jen Osborne shot comes up and, you know, of course, they want to steal that image and use it for, you know, box art for their underwater housing. Right next to that image will be a little licensable button and they can click on that essentially and it'll go to your license section on your page for that image and they can just license it directly through that portal, I guess. At least that's how I understand this from this story. Um, I think it seems it seems like a good idea from that perspective. I, I don't see how there could be a downside to it. But, you know, uh, Jen, what do you think about this story? Well, are you aware of how this will all work? I'm represented by an agency, Redux Pictures. Right. And they syndicate all of my archives, well, what I choose to give them. So do you know how that would work exactly? Would I be able to link them to Redux and then they would go directly to Redux to purchase that image? Yeah, I don't know exactly with regard to that specific agency, but it sounds like to me they will work with the image rights metadata that whatever exists for your image. So as long as Mm. your image has that sort of link to Redux, then somehow the system should be able to pull that and it should know, like, it's a license this picture and take you to the Redux-capable licensing page, I would imagine. I mean, I guess from what I read about it today, it sounds like a positive thing uh, because I have had a lot of people stealing my images lately. Oh, no. And the problem is those are, like, small-time thefts, like some small newspaper or some blog or not a big corporate client that the lawyers can go after. Right, yeah. <laughs> so I think that... Yeah, and I'll never get money back from those people that stole my images because they're too small time and they're just going to delete the image. But maybe if they had the chance to easily license it, I would have gotten a little bit more money to begin with. Um, I guess I would have to try this out to really form a solid opinion. I'm curious, but I don't have a firm opinion yet. What do you think, Travis? (laughs) I I totally agree with you. I haven't seen enough of the fine print on this one. What I'm worried about is like just losing control completely or everyone's a stock photographer. So the prices start plummeting on everyone's work because anyone, again, with a camera can just sell stock images without a middleman. Uh, that's the immediate concern I have. Yeah, no, but, that's a, that's a definitely a posit- you know thing to think about because it will open up this capability. But again, you still have to have a licensing capability through whatever your website is like it again google okay. isn't the middleman here they're not being the licensed house they're not your agency right. they're just going to link you know, provide that link just like you know 
and they used to have be able to download the picture directly from Google Images, they turned that off because Getty said, hey, you're making image theft way too easy. And of course, people came up yeah. with different um, uh, capabilities within the browser to re-add that capability like the next day. But anyway, so they're just trying to make it easier. And you know, obviously, they have this service that some people find controversial because, again, it opens up imagery to be very easily searched and also taken and so they're trying to like, hey, guys, don't throw the pitchforks and the torches at us. Look, we're putting a little licensing badge on your image. So now if you have that capability, it'll be open for you. But if you're just Joe Schmo who takes pictures on their iPhone, you're not automatically be getting the licensing capability. It has to be something that's in the website that you host for your licensing imagery. So you have Redux. I, I might use it through Photo Shelter. I think that's probably the easiest way. If you have a Photo Shelter account which allows for the licensing of your images through their special, like I think you have a certain tier, right? Then when it shows up on image search on Google, you click on that and it goes to your licensing page. That's it. It's just providing And you had said, I would set all the prices, it sounds like. If it goes to my licensing page, I have uh, control over what fee is negotiated through Google's sure. system. So that would be a positive well, again, it's not Google's system. Google is just providing the link to your licensing page. Okay. So however you license your imagery, whether it's individual or whether it's a sort of flat rate or like AP does, mm -hmm. where you just put your licensing calculator and you get your fee, I, I assume that would how it work. We'll have to see you what know, it's actually put in practice. Sounds like it could be positive. Okay. There you go. Got you, got you on the right, the switch. Got you the switch. No. I'm, I'm intrigued. I think I would try it. I'll say that. <laughs> well, let's, let's talk a little Report bit. Report back to us. Let it know how it goes. <laughs> That's right. It, it'll, it'll completely destroy your business or it'll increase your revenue. <laughs> but yeah, that's the hope is that people casually going on Google image search and thinking, oh, well, if it's on the Internet, it must be free. You know, they'll see that licensing thing there and it might like, oh, OK, as opposed to like trying to figure out how to license your imagery. You know, I got to go to a certain website and I got to do this. I don't want to go through all those steps. I'll yeah, just... Especially nowadays where you find a lot of people that aren't doing certain shoots and stuff like that. You find a lot more people searching for images for their for to, to, for usage right now. So yeah. it, it could be uh, a beneficial thing for photographers that uh, yeah. are not getting the normal gigs they're getting that, uh, that some of their photography will get be used for, for stock or, or some campaigns and stuff like that. But, you know, it's interesting you're with Redux. Talk to us a little bit about that, um, being with the, an image house like that. How did you get involved in that and sort of what's sort of the process like when someone does want to license your imagery? So I think I got involved about seven years ago when I lived in Germany. And I think I someone told me you should try syndication. You know, you don't you you make like 50 percent of the final sale or it, there's different percentages you make, but you make maximum 50%. So okay. you do lose a lot. However, um, I just sold an image to National Geographic because I was on an airplane and COVID, and I photographed on there, and I gave it to Redux for syndication, and Nat Geo bought it. Um, whereas they wouldn't have known that I had that image uh, if I was just always pitching my work around. I don't have an archive that's viewable to clients. So the positive of being with an agency and having syndication or an archive with an agent is you get crazy publications you'd never imagined. Mm -hmm. um, I've been in Rolling Stone through there, GQ, lots wow. of random 
the New Yorker, random publications that just bought like a single image or three. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's positive. What what can be a negative is once you submit your files for syndication, you no longer can sell them on your own. Oh wow. Uh, So if a client reaches out and says, hey, I want to buy this image for this usage, you have to put them through to your agency for pre-produced, like material that was produced before. So photographers complain about that. I think it's like 50-50, it's the same. Like, I think I've received more benefits from being part of an agency than I have without. Does your agency have any policy on near images or images that are like the next one in the frame, so to speak? Like, do they prevent you from selling that? So it's not the exact same image, it's the no. next one. No. Do you mean from other photographers or my... No, no, or... no, no. Like, let's say you shoot three images in a row, right? Three images in oh, the frame and of a second. I give them one and I keep two. Right, you upload the middle one. Yeah. And then the, the far left one, you know, that's slightly different, you know, is ex- almost exactly yeah. the same, but you can sell it yourself. Like, they don't have any issues about I... that. Yeah, because I asked them about that recently, and they were like, you can do that. You can... Hey, there you go. You know, I said, I said, times are tough. It's COVID. Like, <laughs> if someone reaches out to me, do you mind if I sell images you don't have that are similar to what you have? And they okayed it. That's, That's why Redux is a great agency. <laughs> Absolutely. And you said you started with them seven years ago. Did they come to you, or did you approach them? And how was that process to get accepted to be a Redux photographer? I think it was seven years ago. Uh, yeah, it was definitely over five and under ten years ago. I don't know the exact year. <laughs> um, no, I approached them and said, can I syndicate work with you? I want to try this. And they took me on. And then when I moved back to North America, they put me on the main roster, which is a bit more prestigious than being in the syndication archives only. Right. Uh, a lot of photographers are just in the archives, but yeah. now I'm an assignment photographer. Oh, great. However, up in Canada, most of the assignments come through my own doing. Not They don't have many assignments for me up here. I think if I lived in the U.S., I would get a lot more assignment work through the agency, but I could be wrong about that. Yeah. Well, you know, you said you approached them, but was it like, you know, an application process where they looked at your work and decided, okay, you're, you're with us or was it basically you applied and you were accepted? Uh, no, I just sent an email. I sent my website and I said, Hey, check out my work. Um, I just used the generic email on their website and they were like, Oh, we've actually seen some of your publications. Sure. We'll check out your work. Sure. You can syndicate with us. Um, I, I think syndication, it's not that hard to get on board with a good agency. It's much harder to get on as like a main roster photographer, like right, a main right. representative. And I've had a few agents in the past. Um, I had commercial agents about five years ago. I had a couple different commercial agents. Uh, but when I moved back to North America, I left the agencies because they were Europe, Europe-based. Right. Um, and a commercial agent can be really valuable because I don't feel that I can do advertising work without a commercial agency. Mm-hmm. Um, they're sort of like a protection because the payments are so large in advertising. The, the agent is like a reputable businessman in between the artist and the ad agency producing the campaign. Right. And they know about the legals and the money and all this. And um I think ad ad agencies producing campaigns rarely hire photographers who don't have an agency unless it's very low budget. Yeah. 
you know, I, I worked for an agency and the way I did it was I applied and they reviewed my portfolio and, you know, we had an interview and they, then they accepted me into the agency and, you know, talking about like where your stuff is published. That was the craziest thing is like, I'll get the report of where all the places where my photo is published and it'll be like some magazine in Germany I've never heard of or yeah. some, some Botswana like website. I'm like, wow. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. They want to buy my it's stuff. Fun. It is. It is. Like when I woke up one day and I Google, sometimes I'll just Google my name because Redux doesn't tell me when they sell work until I get paid. I see it on my pay stub. Yeah. And like one day I woke up and I was like in Rolling Stone and I was hey, like, sweet. You <laughs> You're a Rolling Stone photographer now. Congratulations. <laughs> sort of. I mean, not an assignment photographer, but I've sold work to them. <laughs> so. Hey, the outsider, the regular person, they won't know they don't nor know. care. They don't know. So. Just say, yeah, I've been in Rolling Stone. That's all you guys say. And they'll be like, all yeah, right. Well, well, agency I'll... helps you fake it until you make it. There you go. <laughs> well, some people will consider you making it in, in terms of being even or being part of an agency, even making it. I know they're, I was seeing some yeah. questions about, well, like, how do I get started? What do I do? You know, and so it's interesting kind of just, you know, ask the question, email the, email the agencies directly. You know, if you're not sure how to get, I'm sure they probably have landing pages which say hey would you like to shoot for us type thing um yeah. let me throw it over to you travis really quick i know you do most of your commercial work it's for clients directly right but do you do anything for an agency or do you upload anything to a larger image house no no i don't in fact uh i i, I really work i'm the like the person that uh, how do i explain it uh, a lot of like stuff that i shoot uh um, you'll, they'll get the Gettys there. They'll get the, you know, BFAs, right. they'll get, they get the, the, those kind of agencies. And those guys are really there kind of to shoot the celebrity there and just get this one image that, that, that they can resell and stuff like that. Yeah. When they hire me, I'm getting more stylized shots, stuff that's going to go editorial magazine this is very different. So I get, to, I get a freedom to kind of walk around and shoot what I want, but mm -hmm. it's not that type of shooting, which I prefer because I, I hate just like that cookie cutter kind of photography and just go after the, just a name and, 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 and this one shot because you're going to have to upload it instantly. You're going to have to label it. You're going to have to you know tag it. You're going to have to put it through the, all this different stuff and meta tagging and get it up instantly and then it gets resold and it's like you're making money on the back end and it's like oh, yeah. <laughs> sounds yeah. horrible <laughs> you just want to be one and done give me my money for my work well yeah, that's more like the AP I would say that's like AP or CP I'm sorry Travis you guys are talking oh. at the same time what did you say Travis no, a lot of times, like uh, on the back end of my stuff, uh, I, I keep it on my back end, and, and those people will go in and they'll purchase stuff from me uh, on top of it. So I'm my own sort of, you know, Getty or whatever. They'll go to my own site, and anybody there who there can buy the images. And so I'm selling myself, cutting out all that. That's a good idea. Do you have a licensing capability within your website, or do they have to engage with you and contact I'll license you? It. They'll contact me if it's it's for if it's anything that's going to be used other than like so I have you know. Uh, when it sells, there's there's um, different uh, levels of buying, whether it's social media or whether it's uh, um, you know for you know different things. But if they if they want it for a magazine or anything like that or print or anything like that, they have to go through me and, and purchase it directly through me. Okay, cool. And Jen, what were you saying? Um, yeah, that's why I like Redux because it's sort of a combination between what Travis was saying and something like CP or AP or. What the Deutsche Deutsche Press? You know <laughs> those guys are really like cookie cutter, like bang, 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 super hard news. File those shots, like right. they're pretty straight ahead. 
but Redux, it's like um, I produce my own work slowly at my own pace, and when I'm done selling it on my own, I pass over the files uh, for them to syndicate if I feel I can't go further with the publications. Uh, so I'm somewhere in between, and that's interesting to assess all those differences. Yeah. I think the uh, the good thing, you know, or the interesting thing is, you know, if you want to work for an agency or a newspaper or anybody, really, you have to have a really good, high-quality, up-to-date website where somebody can look at your work and be able to make a determination. And I, I was listening to somebody else who was talking about, you know, trying to get themselves sold as a documentary filmmaker, and they said, you've got about two minutes to get someone over to your side to if, convince if them. Even, even that, yeah. yeah I mean, if, if I've you're done lucky. a bunch of... I've done a bunch of webinars and sit-downs and, and, and digital portfolio stuff to teaching our, our members and professional photographers how to revamp the website just for that. And I've had these people, the people that actually spend those 30 to seconds to two minutes on mm -hmm. telling people, like, this is what we're looking for. This is how we want, yeah. you know, it's like we want, a, we want a page that uh, it's a simple overview that I can scroll through and then go into other things. It's like if you have to go dig deep and your information is not there and this is not like you've lost me and I'm not even there. I'm not even looking further in just like a next page. And yeah. uh, so, it's yeah, it's, it's, it's a whole art form. Yeah, I remember back in the early days of websites, you know, they used to have everybody had like a landing page and then you had to click enter to enter the website. And then maybe they had like an animated intro with auto playing sound like, no, <laughs> getting rid of all oh, that. Oh, no, <laughs> as few clicks as possible Beautiful to get front you. page with not too many images, but enough that they can go through. And yeah, that's right. Get your portfolio immediately when people go to your website. And if they want to dig deeper and see, you know, your story on I don't know, Arctic badgers or something like that. They can do that, but we don't need no stinking badgers. No, that's right. Badgers don't give. F. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and move on to our next story. Unless there's any other comments. No. Let's okay. move it. Great. So Mac Ranger uh, is a very well-known Nikon or formerly Nikon photographer now. Um, a friend he, of mine. I know Matt. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about that in a second, but he decided to sell all his Nikon gear and move over to mirrorless. Um, I think, I don't know if he mentioned the exact, A7S III, I think he's moving to Sony. I can't remember exactly. Well, let's put it this way. He, he kind of says that, you know, he, he is selling all of the, 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 the Nikon gear. Yeah. And how easy it was to sell it online and have package it all up to one 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 place and send it mm -hmm. off, uh, and uh, and he didn't really know what he would really kind of move into, but he he has he's using the the A sevens you know, right now, and he he is using the A nine and I think an A seven R four, and he has the A seven S three coming, and uh, he does use those quite frequently. But he's he didn't say that 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 was his committed system like replacing Nikon with Sony, but he is using them. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, you mentioned. Uh, before the show, Jennifer, that you've sold some equipment recently? Well, uh, I'm just Googling this exact model. So it's interesting that he's selling his Nikon gear because I also do unit stills photography, uh, like, you know, on film sets. Um, and you need mirrorless. You need to be silent. You yeah. work with camera A, camera B on a Hollywood show or whatever. I'm a non-union shooter. And my mentor in uh, in the local, um, he was telling me to get the Nikon Z6. Mm -hmm. And everybody was recently selling. Travis is shaking his head. He says, no. Um, but wow. everyone was selling off their Fujis and their Sony, what is it, the A9? And they were moving over to the Nikon Z6. But 
I'm currently, I have my foot in the Canon system and I have my foot in the Fuji X-T2, et cetera, system. Um, and I went with Fuji X-T2 because of affordability. I'm pretty hard on gear. I do kind of rough work in documentary, but I still need to be quiet on a film set if I get those jobs. And I was recently going through the dilemma, everyone's saying Nikon Z6 is so good, should I switch back over to Nikon, which I was with 10 years ago, and then I switched to Canon, now I've switched to Fuji, and I've got kind of a mix of everything now except for Nikon. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I, I think Canon doesn't have a great mirrorless on the market at the moment, but people are talking well, about a new they, they, they do now. So, yeah, How, have you tried that, Travis? Can you advise? Um, I, I've, I have the previous version, which is pretty good, but uh, the new version is supposed to be, you know, and, and someone has one, they just haven't got their hands on it yet, who's sitting right there. Uh, I I don't have it, but but Dave does have one coming in. But, no, I mean, the, 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 the R5 is... is uh, it's 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 top in the game right now. It's uh, oh. it, it, not. I'm not saying it's 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 just like you know. It's just like Sony's. It's just like Canon's. It's just like they they, they have a mirrorless in the game, and it's it's a very good one. Um, and uh, it's it, it's well worth a look. Uh, I actually have shot on on films and uh, used my Sony, and uh, it's so silent and fast, and it, it's it's a brilliant film uh, uh, set camera because I I have sat next to the sound person and firing and they're like you're firing i'm like yeah i'm firing and they're like there's no noise in fact you will get more noise out of your finger touching the shutter than you will the camera yeah yeah, yeah no i mean the the mirrorless and the advent of the silent shooting that's one of the like top features especially as a photojournalist right because you want to be oh, in that yeah. sort of silent space and sort of be able to be a fly on the wall and I think that's one of the most underrated features of these mirrorless cameras is their silent shooting capability. And I think it's funny how you mentioned stills shooting and I know or movie set shooting, right? And before the mirrorless, you had to have the blimp on your camera to make sure silence yeah. out. Oh yeah, that business is completely yeah. Yeah. Yeah, bummer. And you've shot on. So I didn't really. Sorry. Well, I was gonna say you've shot on sets with a mirrorless camera, I presume. Yeah, so I've worked on two Hallmark films, a Warner Brothers film and a bunch of indie films and a couple music videos over the last 10 years. Um, and when I first started the blimp, I got deterred from unit stills because of the blimp. I thought it was a pain. I didn't a pain. like this. Such a pain. <laughs> Yeah, and um, I kind of just sort of stepped away from unit stills, even though it pays a heck of a lot better than documentary photography. Um, yeah. Right, yeah. Uh, and then I've kind of gotten back into it in the last two years, just putting my portfolio out there to the, produ the PMs and everything. And things are lit better. Yeah. Oh, that's <laughs> the great thing about... So the mirrorless, your Canon, um, what did you say? The R5, I wrote it down. How is it in low light, you guys? Uh, so what Ask I heard about me in about Nikon. a week. Okay, the Nikon Z6, people are saying it's incredible in low light, and that's a benefit to documentary photographers and to unit stills photographers. Well, if you want the best low light camera money can buy, the Sony a7S III is probably going to be your best option if you don't need resolution, if you're okay with 12 megapixels. Just because uh, if you've seen any of the preview footage, that thing can shoot in almost pitch black and get really high quality incredible. dynamic range. You can so, go to ISO levels that you would just be like, no, there's no way, and, yeah. and you can go. Yeah, it's like 16,000, no, no big deal. 
you know, 50, yeah. 50,000, whatever, you know, you it, go way up It's mainly used as a video workhorse, but it, 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 it is a, amazing. And don't think to, the 12, it's 12 megapixels because the pixels are actually larger. That's why it can absorb the light differently than other sensors. So that's why it's so good in low light. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, it's uh, it's an incredible camera, and uh, but I mean, just the A9 is fantastic, and and probably the fastest focus you'll find on any camera, uh, in terms because they built that to be a sports shooter. They built it to be, you know, they they wanted the, the A92 to go to the Olympics, and and now it's you know it's the you know there's a reason you know AP is now using it for all their you know. Uh, journalists and reporters on film and photography they, they struck a deal with sony so now all the ap photographers get the sony's it's it's in a great system but you, you can't go like, the truth of the matter is is like the, the canon right now i use the uh canon uh, eos r and i was surprised at how well it did in low light and i can only imagine that the r5 is going to do that much better uh so i mean canon has a real camera in the game right now so if you like canon check rent one you know go to bar lenses or lens rental.com and, and see how it goes and uh it might be the camera for you uh the the, so, X, the the fuji is a great camera and the x4 if you were going to stay in the fuji realm is miles above the x2 like people just rave and love the x4 it's it's like you, you're looking you're looking back at some serious two generations back on the x2 which is a great camera but the x4 has really made focusing changes and and uh and uh, you know it, it's really a much improved camera it's really really good so one thing we didn't address yet about the tech technical abilities is um the fuji xt2 is banding on when you shoot an electronic shutter mode in silent mm -hmm. mode yeah uh, there's banding happening on the frame yeah and i wonder if i heard a9 is not the sony a9, a9, a9 is not, does not banding. Ban, especially yeah the new softwares the a9s don't ban like that um uh, but uh, you know, my my other Sony did ban like that, and, and it has to do with certain fluorescent lights and and the, the you know yeah. and you can, you know if you want to go silent, that's when you had those problems with some of the earlier Sonys and, and earlier mirrorless. Uh, but uh, some of the newer so I don't think you're gonna. I, hopefully, you don't get that on the Canon. I don't know if there's been testing on that. I haven't seen it, uh, but uh, I would assume it's not there. But um, but uh, no, the newer cameras are doing much better. And uh, and when you're using you know the mechanical shutter, you're not getting that issue. It's just when you're going silent. Yeah, I learned that the hard way on a. I was on a <laughs> unit stills job, and the first day I nearly botched the whole shoot because oh, I didn't no. realize there was fluorescent lighting in the scene, and I got oh, a no. mild band, and I actually was able to retouch it out with my master it's tough, skills. Yeah, oh, lucky. You do it, but it's uh, you first, when you get first see that when you come back, you're like. <gasps> Yeah, I was my heart sank, and I was like, "Shoot, they're never gonna hire me back ever again." And I spent like eight hours overnight, didn't sleep, retouching everything, getting those band color bands out of there. <laughs> yeah, the the mirror, the, the that's the electronic shutter. It definitely does have its disadvantages, and especially if you're shooting action, like I shot some, uh, you know, some some folks in the, you know color guard or whatnot spinning their rifles and you know you get the the rifle actually curving in the shot so it actually leads to some interesting effects but yeah those it are is the older ones though i don't think you'll have those problems on the newer camera not as bad but they still exist yeah. as long as they do the sort of you know the way they sensor read from top to bottom unless it's a global shutter or a global sensor you got you're always right, going right. to have that issue but i don't think yeah, we're there yeah. yet with the cameras but yeah, I got the Canon R5. It is finally in country, so to speak, and I'll hopefully have it in my hands today or this week at the latest. So I'll plan to put out some unboxing videos and first impressions videos. And, you know, as long as it doesn't burn down my house, I'll tell you all about it and how great it is. 
Um, yeah, there's yeah. Uh, all these little remedies of scotch tape and all kinds of stuff about it now. I've read, seen all these things about that. Well, you know, the, now that they have the new firmware out, that seems to have resolved uh, not all the issues, but it's definitely made the, the issues less bad. So I'm, I'm excited to get my hands on it. I'll, of course, install the firmware the first thing I do, and I'll give you my impressions on it, and we'll talk about it next week. I look week. forward to it, yeah. I'm yeah. sure you're gonna have a blast with it. No, yeah, it's, it's it's. I mean, I'm so excited to actually get my hands on it and, you know, really get the feel of the camera. And I was listening to somebody talking about the hand feel, hand feel, right? That's kind of the ergonomics, right, of Canon cameras. And they said there's not a sharp edge on the entire thing. Like all the edges are nice and smooth, and I think that's what, you know, lends to its overall hand feel and why people are. I tend agree. To like the, it. The, the the design of even the EOS R was just it felt really good in the hand. The, yeah. it, the, the ergonomics of it was really nicely designed. Yeah. No. Absolutely. And you said, uh, Jennifer, that you're not you're you're thinking about getting a new camera system, or you're you're not sure which one to get. Is that what you were talking about? In yeah. terms of, or you, you think I about going to, to Nikon? Either go back. I either sell off my Fuji and go back to the Canon, um, the camera you're, you're just purchased, mm -hmm. or I sell off all the old Canon gear and stick with Fuji. Wow. Yeah. Or just sell it all and go to Nikon. But <laughs> if you maybe I might be going back to the Canon R5. Let's try. I, I don't know. I, yeah. I've been kind of schizophrenic about it all lately. <laughs> well, if you want advice on Nikon, I highly recommend reaching out to our other co-host, Zach Roberts. He is a Nikon shooter. He has, I believe, the Z6. So he can give you his personal take on using that camera. Um, of course, the Sony man is, you know, Travis here. I'll be the Canon guy going forward. I'm also the Panasonic guy. So if oh, you ever want to know about Panasonic okay. cameras, I mean, those are very good. The S1 series also a great full frame mirrorless uh, setup. You might want to consider that as well. I've got all three of the S1 series cameras that are out and you know, depending on your use case scenario, you've got a wide breadth of options there. So don't don't count out Panasonic, especially if you're going to sell all. Oh, Travis. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, selling yeah, but One other question. Mm -hmm. When you guys turn on your cameras with a Fuji X-T2, when I switch it on, there's quite a big delay there, and I miss uh, I miss shots sometimes. Oh, no. Do you have that issue? Yeah, with the, the newer camera? cameras boot up quicker. Yeah. 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 I, I don't know exactly the boot up time for my Panasonic GH5, but it's relatively speedy, and I believe even with like the newer ones, it's it's almost what is it like? It's not even really. You can't really even sense it sometimes. It's just. Is that fast? You turn it on. Like, how fast is it for the Sony's? It's pretty fast. Yeah, I've never, I've never, I don't think missed a shot because of it. Right. I mean. Yeah, I've missed shots because of the Fuji XT2 because uh, the battery life is very bad on the original XT2, which I have, and the the batteries die if you just leave the camera on hanging from your shoulder to avoid the boot up time. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why that's happened to me. I turn off the bat, I turn it off to conserve the battery, then go to turn it back on when I see a shot and I miss the shot. Yeah, that's rough. So maybe there's like a sleep mode or something that you can mm, activate yeah. where it's, it's turning off the screen, but it's not going completely dark. Um, I know with yeah, the Canons, uh, I know the Canons, and I think any modern mirrorless nowadays than the latest set, you know, they're fra you know the, the on-off times are fractions of a second. You know, so you shouldn't have any sort of noticeable issue getting the shot you want. But I know that many of them have standby modes. The problem with the Canons, though, at least with the R5, is that it always is uh, heating up. 
like even when you have the camera on standby mode and all the screens are off, there's always this kind of heating on timer. So if you're trying to shoot like high quality 4K or 120K, I'm sorry, 120P or even 8K, you know, you have the camera on the whole time, even if it's in standby, as soon as you go to take that video, you're going to get an overheat timer and you're not going to get any ability to shoot, you know, footage. So that's a consideration. So with like the Canon, I'll have to turn it on and off between shots in order to conserve that very limited amount of time I have to shoot either 8K or 4K. Or you can use the Scotch tape hack. Yeah, sure. There you go. That too as well, <laughs> Carrie. Yeah, well, I've seen what what I've seen of those experiments is that what they do is they shoot 8K until they get the overheat warning, and then they have the Scotch tape and the the you know screw or whatever something to depress the battery release, and they remove the battery while recording, which will corrupt your footage. So it's not really a practical oh, like thing you can That's do okay. in the field. Uh, but what it does prove, or at least it did prove with the previous firmware, is that that it is it is a software limitation. It's yeah, it's timer based versus necessarily heat based. So, yep. with the new firmware, they've taken into account timer and heat based to make a better like you give you more time. So hopefully that increases over time and, and further firmware updates and and whatnot. So, um, with regard to selling all your gear, though. Um, my experience was I did eBay for selling all my Panasonic gear. I didn't use keh.com like Granger did. You weren't worried about eBay? No, no. eBay actually, uh, they've, they've done, they're, they're a lot better than they used to be, I think. And they help the selling process. They act as a middleman and it's a very, it was very safe. You know, I was the one, of course, you know, I wasn't paying anything. I was the one getting you have money. To insure it or is it insured if someone just says, oh, I never got it or? Um, it hasn't happened yet, um, but... Yeah, see, I, I'm not playing that game. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, there's yeah. tracking via the USPS, right? So there's tracking... Yeah, then you have to insure it. So you pay the extra for the sure. insurance. I did insure one lens, which was my... Yep, not playing that game. <laughs> it's well, ended right there. I'm not well, sending a $4,000 camera with a chance. No, yeah. I would only sell to a local buyer, honestly. Yeah. Personally, for me... Uh, and I would personally never buy used equipment myself. Um, really? I just, I don't trust it. You can sell through it. Amazon and it's protected. So you can actually sell it and send it into them. And they, they work, uses the warehouse, so it sends out from them. So if it, uh, you, you are, you're protected no matter what. I actually tried to sell through Amazon initially. And I have sold through them in the past. But because of some weird issues with my account, I was like blocked and I couldn't get it restated. So I had to figure out another some way. Items, some items you're not even allowed to sell. You know, it's like, right. you know, watches. They won't let you sell like fancy watches. Oh, really? Because of, yeah. of the counterfeiting? Yeah, I think it's that. And yeah, a bunch yeah. of that. Yeah. And my locality here, I'm kind of a little bit more restricted than the average person in terms of who I can sell to in person. Um, mm -hmm. So I had to sell online. And again, it's been a very seamless experience. I've gotten all my money for all my lenses. Nobody's tried to scam me. So I think eBay is a good option if you have limitations. And if you're worried about it, you can use those resale houses like KEH.com, but know that you're going to get about half of what you could get selling it yourself. So that's one of the things to consider. You know, I was yeah. looking at, because they'll give you an instant quote, right? But that quote is usually like, half of what the lens initially cost. And I'm like, no, I, I'd rather make a little bit more or make much more doing it myself. And I think that was the way to go yeah. for me. I know when I purchased my GH5, I actually sold all of my equipment to Adorama. 
and I packaged it up and sent it over to them and they gave me a quote for it. What sucks is they won't give you the quote until they have the equipment, which makes sense because they want to obviously visually inspect the equipment, but it's it's still a frustrating process. I've gotten quotes without sending the equipment and they said it, that it just in case it needed to be revised, but they gave me quotes over the phone. Really? Oh. I mean, they, they email them back to you. Yeah. That's, that's nice. Maybe it's a policy change from because in the past they wouldn't they wouldn't tell yeah, me maybe. anything. Um, but uh, have you sold your equipment, Jennifer? Uh, mm, I haven't sold anything for a while. I just sort of collect it all in my cupboard and there I use go. it as backup gear. But when I have, it's been over Facebook Marketplace. Oh, okay, that's good. Locally, yeah, and people can come check it out and try it and make sure that it works. And when they take it, it's theirs. I won't take it back because right, they yeah. could have dropped it. Um, exactly. I know my gear works. If I sell it, I make sure they test it before taking it off my property. And that's that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I agree. I think in-person selling with people you can trust is probably the best way to do a camera sale. I did that one time. And again, it's especially when you're dealing with that high dollar value item goods, you want to meet in a public place. And you want to have uh, that sale be in person. But that's great if you live in a metropolitan area with a lot of people who yeah. have income who want to buy camera equipment. But, you know, when your market is smaller, you kind of have to um, expand. Yep. Uh, I have to say I use most of my gear into the ground. Like oh, okay. my 24 to 105 image stabler Canon lens. Like yeah. I just repaired it as a trasher camera like it cost about eight hundred dollars to repair the body and the lens but i wow. have a good trasher camera like when i go shoot out in mud or in snow or and i don't want to put the underwater housing on or if i'm going somewhere <laughs> dangerous where it might get stolen now i have a great camera for those purposes great there you go yeah i i i I think that's probably why you don't buy used equipment because you assume the people who are selling it have also trashed yeah. it right okay mm -hmm. Yeah. I'll be honest. I'm kind of the opposite. I, I'm sort of always, except for the camera body, I think I will probably just buy used equipment going forward because it's such a great deal in terms of what you're selling, in terms of what you're buying, you're making, you're saving money. And for the most part, I think the majority of us as photographers take care of our equipment. We baby it. We put it in, you know, specially back. We're not, we're not throwing our stuff around. We're not like, you know, we're all... We know what we're getting into. We know what we're getting into when we buy an expensive piece of camera equipment. <laughs> I dropped my camera like four times when I was shooting the bushfires in Australia. Oh yeah. my god! Wow, jeez. <laughs> I was sleep deprived. I was jet lagged. I was. It was boiling hot. I was delusional oh, no. at one point. Ugh. I think I dropped my camera two times in one day at one point. <laughs> oh my gosh! All right. Well, I know not to buy used equipment from you. That's for sure. Yeah. There you go. There you go, everybody. Public service announcement. On the blacklist officially. <laughs> That's right. Don't buy don't buy used equipment from Jen Osborne unless she <laughs> unless she lets you know that it's been through the ringer. But hey, you know what? If you use your stuff till it breaks. That's great. Yeah. You know, I mean, that, that, that what I would say is worth it. If you're using it constantly, buy new and, you know, repair it. That's the best thing. Cause I, I had yeah. Canon equipment before I sold it all and went to Panasonic, but I did consider buying like a Metabones adapter and just using it for that. But I noticed some of my, one of my lenses was not working properly. So I said, you know what, let's scrap the whole thing. Cause they all, you know, they're all old lenses at the time and they yeah. were going to get older and they were replaced by Mark II equivalents. So 
it's like, eh, let's just go all new. And with the new Canon, I want to go all new because they have a new mount, you know, the new mirrorless mount. So that's another yeah, thing some to of consider. Those, some of that new Canon glass is what makes that camera also so exciting. Oh, yeah. uh, really? Yeah. Mm. It's it's been a pretty thing. I, I keep constantly look out on eBay for sales of the new RF glass because I don't want to pay full price for it new. So it's too new to be too new usually to, to have a good okay, deal. Okay, so anything from the five D Mark II system will not work on the new Canon uh, R5. It will with an adapter. Oh, yeah. And the adapter you, is is hundred percent like in terms of functionality, it all translates new, to. Yeah. Yeah, on the you new don't lose a stop or something no. like that? No. Nope. Okay. It's a one-to-one. -one. I would say, though, you know, in terms of the RF glass versus modified EF glass, I think the only downside is it's a little bit slower in autofocus be between yeah. the two, but it's not like... I don't I think it's even negligible. Yeah. It's, it's... Yeah. Again, I, w I wouldn't prevent you from using that, especially if you have all Canon glass. But that's the great thing is you can get the body, you can test it out, see if it works for you. And if it doesn't, especially if you already have Canon glass, like, you know, it's a hundred dollars for the adapter. But also, I mean, you look at, you look at the R5 and their, and their new version of the, the, the uh, 70 to 200 and it's shorter and smaller and, or, and lighter. It, that's an amazing lens and still at two eight. And that's because of the new mount that they've made a, a shorter and smaller uh, 70 to 200. That's that there is really exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And the 800 millimeter and the 600 millimeter, it's just, it's, yep. it's amazing what the new, just changing the lens mount can do for a camera system. So really excited yep. to test those out. And hopefully I'll be able to do that with my new camera today. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I'll let you know. Indeed. So you can check that out. Check out any of the kind of videos that I produce or we produce on Around the Lens at our YouTube channel. Uh, you can also find everything we linked on our Facebook page as well and Twitter page and Instagram. If you want to support the show, just go to patreon.com slash around the lens and you can definitely uh, donate to what we're putting out there and get everything we produce a week early. Um, I would like to promote an interview I did with Seth Porges. If you haven't already checked that out, it's live on our Facebook and YouTube and website and whatnot. Uh, he was actually the documentary filmmaker, one of the co-directors behind the film uh, Class Action Park which is a new documentary about Action Park that uh, just came on HBO um, Max. It's an exclusive documentary on that service. So I highly recommend everybody go check that out and then go check Where's out the interview. Uh, Class Action Park. Oh, yeah, I've watched it. I actually, I, as a child, I went to, to Great Adventure many times, I mean, to uh, uh, Action Park many times. Oh, that's awesome. So it was, it was fun to watch that uh, reliving some of the moments and, and some of the rides they were talking about. Because, like, yeah. I remember, like, the cliff jumping ones. I remember how terrifying that was standing at the top of this 20-foot, uh, you know, little cliff that would dive in the water. And there were people low. You didn't know if you were going to, like, land on them and if you were going to dislocate your arm going oh, into it. it. That place was insane. <laughs> did you get any, <laughs> did you get any injuries when you were there? Did you skin your knee or do any anything crazy? I never really. I think I uh, on the alpine slide I went off once or twice. Uh, oh, jeez! Uh, so I definitely scraped myself a little Oof. on that. Uh, I was always, you know, I, that thing went so fast that I I, I rode that brake quite often. I wasn't one of the ones like that <laughs> yeah. said, "Oh, I'm not using the brake. I yeah. I use that brake." <laughs> Well, the problem is you could be the safest driver. They're saying some of them didn't have brakes. Exactly. So you're the safest driver going slow, and somebody slams right in the back of you because they don't have a brake. So. 
yeah, I got to watch that documentary and talk to the director. So, again, definitely check out the interview if you want to hear about the behind the scenes and the making of it and kind of, That's you fantastic. Know. I remember seeing that you had posted that. I'm like, I was so excited that you did that that, that interview just because it's such a, it's a fun movie. And, uh, and, uh, and, 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 and then it starts out sort of with uh, Johnny Knoxville, who made a, a, a fictionalized mm-hmm. movie of yep. that place and, and, uh, and with uh, Kimmel. It's, uh, it, it's, it's, a fun, it's a fun documentary. Yeah, no, absolutely. I kind of want to check out that movie now that I've kind of it's, experienced it's terrible. it. Yeah, uh, that's what I heard. That's why I didn't see it the first time. But now that I have a background, I might go check that out. All right, just well, like the new Bill and Ted, terrible. What really? Oh no, I've heard. I've heard it's okay. No, it's not uh, that great. Well, I'm three quarters through it. Maybe it gets better. Oh. Okay, so you downloaded it or got the live? The you paid for the that's, stream? Yeah, that's the only way you can get it right now. There's no theaters open yet in your area or drive throughs or anything? Really. No, not, I mean, there's there's some, but not, you know, you can download that movie now. Yeah. No, they released it for download, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Actually, we can watch it on base. They have the movie theaters on base oh. open, so I could see it in a theater if I wanted to, but I'd have to, like, we can't take the kids to it because, like, PG-13, and I, I, we've yeah. taken the kids to movies, and they just, they're, they're disruptive to the other audience members. I don't want to put people through that, so we may uh, download it here as well. And the new um, New Mutants. Also, I can go see that at the theater as well. So, I heard it was they, they wrote it up as the worst uh, Marvel movie of, of them yet. Really? Uh, oh my gosh! I was looking forward to that, but it was written up as the very worst one made. Oh my god! <laughs> I heard it was okay. I like a seven, like not too bad. Where you're getting your reviews? <laughs> IGN primarily, but I mean, again, I, wow, that's, that's disappointing. But you know what? Some of the reviews and, and, and the, 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 the little comments are hysterical on it. Oh, geez. Well, I look forward to seeing how Marvel will reinvent the X-Men in the next uh, generation or so. Yeah, uh, yeah. Me when too. movie theaters reopen and we can actually go see movies like Black Widow, that one, and Mulan. Or you can pay Mulan's $30 been, see it on Mulan. Mulan's being released directly to Disney Plus for $30. Yeah, yeah that's right. Mm-hmm. Are things pretty much uh, how are things in Vancouver with regard to COVID? I mean, have you guys gone like back to normal or are you still kind of secured and closed down? Well, we've gone back to normal. However, the cases started to surge again. Yeah. And then things start to lock back, so, snap back. And we're trying to get children into schools. Uh, maybe that started already or it's about mm. to start. Yeah, it's about that time. I think it's going to get shut down quite quick. I know in the U.S. they started it and then two days later some of the schools were locked down again. Yeah. <laughs> it's tough. It's tough. I mean, you know, we obviously want to get the kids back in school, right? But it's like you have to do it safely. So how do you do that? Yeah. How do you manage that? I feel feel fearful for my teacher friend. Uh, she's yeah. expected to go back into the classroom, and I don't really feel great about her safety personally. Yeah. So that's tough. I wouldn't I wouldn't envy any of our teachers right now. It's it's not a it's not a great place to be in with regard to uh, their position. Um, nope. Maybe if somehow they can kind of set up like a plexiglass wall between them and the <laughs> students, so all the students go inside like a plexiglass block a box, and the teachers that teach outside of it. And then the class bully gets going on the other side, and then there's violence across the wall, the glass wall. Hey, as long as you can lock them inside there, it's fine. It's no big deal. Just lock them up, let them do their thing. 
put, turn on, put some, put some sleeping gas in there. Some, some yeah, we're living in a dystopian future. I mean, it's here, guys. <laughs> I don't want to say 1984 is real, but anyways. All right. Well, this has been a great show. Great talking to you all, chatting about all kinds of cool topics, uh, both on and off topic with regard to visual journalism, but great. <laughs> Good discussion overall. Um, Jennifer, where would you like to direct people towards? Where can people find out about more and about you and your work? Oh, feel free. Uh, I'm at jenosbornstudio.com. That's Osborne with no U and an E at the end. Um, <laughs> you can also find me through Redux Pictures' website. <laughs> nice. Uh, Travis, anything got going on in your world we need to know about? Nothing, nothing you know, worth a, a big uh, shout-out, except uh, to the fans of uh, Around the Lens, uh, we'd like to hear back from you on anything that you found interesting or want to talk about in the future or, or like, dislike, or anything like that. I know nobody talks about what they dislike because we don't really do too many things that people dislike, which is great. Yeah. But we want to hear it, so right. let us know. That's right. Leave your comments down below. We want to hear what you think. <laughs> Are we right about what we're talking about? Are we wrong? Uh, trust me, I'm just I full of it. That's right. I read all the comments that come in. So, and you know, if you got constructive criticism, I like to take that as well. All hey, right. And I'd love to hear people talking about Canon versus Nikon mirrorless because it will affect my decision. Oh, don't start that. Sure. Don't start that war. I believe there's a website oh, or wait, two wait, you wait, can find you out. Why didn't you say Sony? Why didn't you say Sony? Huh? You see, it already began. Or Sony. It already started. Or Fuji. Or Panasonic. Don't forget Panasonic. <laughs> I, got, I always, always got to fight for my Panasonic, yo. Let the battle begin. <laughs> That's right. No, I mean, you can find a billion YouTube videos that compare every camera to every other camera. So yeah. just just go down there. Go down that rabbit hole. You'll be there for a few hours and, and whatnot. So. <laughs> but, yeah, honestly, the best way to do it is just get your hands on each of them. Try it out. Uh, I know certain Best Buys, at least in the States, have setups where you can try out every single camera there is and – I don't know if there's a B&H equivalent in Canada or Vancouver. I mean, at least if you're in Vancouver, you're in a major metropolitan area, so you should have access to, to more than average. Or rent the equipment like uh, Travis recommended. That's a great yeah. option. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're never going to know if you really like it until you take it out and really shoot with it. Yeah. That's the problem. Yeah. Well, guys, it's been a pleasure. Indeed. All right. Well. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jen, for taking time out to be here. Really appreciate it. For Travis Keys, I'm David J. Murphy. This has been Around the Lens, episode 240. 240? 240. 240. And we are out of here. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Around the Lens. We hope you enjoyed the show. To continue the conversation, head on over to one of our social media outlets, such as Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, or Twitter. To support the show financially, consider donating to us via Patreon. For show notes from this week's episode and links to everything else we talked about, just go to our website, AroundTheLens.com. Finally, if you or someone you know might be a good guest for the show, get in touch with us via email at info at AroundTheLens.com.